I want to start today off by a really informal uh, question, informal survey. How many of you are really terrible at directions? And raise your hands really high. There's more of you than that. <laughs> I'm really, really, really bad at directions. Um, it's funny, my wife and I went on, on a trip to Italy and we got to the front desk and we were asking for directions to a restaurant and the guy at the front desk was looking all at me and I was like, Papa, you need to look to her. She, she is our navigator. I don't know what you are saying. You're speaking English, but I still have no idea what you're saying. Um, it, here's a couple of things that lost people or people who are terrible at directions need all of you snobs who are good with directions to know. Uh, we never get lost on purpose, right? Like we go out with the fullest intentions of actually reaching our destination properly. We never want to get lost on purpose. Uh, it just kind of happens to us. Second thing is you never know when you're getting lost. You just know when you're lost. Right? You never like are walking like, you know what, I'm definitely getting lost right now, but uh, no, you, you always just kind of go, and before you know it, you look back, and maybe it was 100 yards the other way, you're just lost. And I, I realize this the most when I'm off the grid in Manhattan. When I'm in Manhattan, everything is good. Where you at? 116th and, and Lenox? I can, I can do the mathematics in my head. You put me in Brooklyn, it's a whole nother animal, um, or Queens, God forbid, with all the drives, roads, and streets. Um, the third thing about directions is whatever, your road, whatever road you're on will always determine your destination. That's pretty deep, right? But whatever road you're on will always determine your destination. It's not your desires. It's not your intentions. It's the road that you are actually on. That road will determine your destination. If you want to go to Boston, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but if you wanted to go to Boston, <laughs> and you hopped on 95 South, you would never get there. No matter how badly you wanted to go north, no matter how badly you told everybody this is what you're gonna do, your destination is determined by the road that you are actually on today. Now, the reason that we've been in this Faith and Work series is not so that we can give you guys all of the answers about how your faith and your work uh, interplay with each other. That's not been our goal. Our goal has not been to leave you at the end of these eight weeks with a crystal clear, perfect notion of exactly what you're supposed to do, but rather our goal um, throughout the series, and certainly today, is to make sure that you're on the right road. Where are you going? Uh, one place that we hope you're going is we hope that no matter what, you are determining that your faith will have a meaningful interaction with your work. And no longer do you see your life separated into the sacred, into the secular, but that you see all of your life is just your life. But specifically, where we're going today is, what is the goal of your work? What direction are you headed in? The author Stephen Covey has written a book called Seven Habits of the Highly Effective Person. And in this book, it's been out since the 80s or 90s, and um, most of you weren't alive then. But the, um, the book talks about a number of principles that people who are effective have in common. One of those principles is to always begin with the end in mind. Uh, chapter two of his book starts off with an exercise. He says, I want, to, I want you to imagine that you're walking into a funeral. And as you get there, you start to notice that you know everybody that's there. People from your work and people from your childhood and people from all over the place. And before you know it, you get up to the casket and it's you inside. 
and you're a witness to your own funeral, you are watching people grab the mic, relatives, coworkers, friends, and they're going to speak about you. What would you want them to say about your life? By doing this, by having the end in mind, it helps you to eliminate a lot of things that you're going through right now that probably shouldn't be on your radar. It helps you to not do things that would distract you from your ultimate purpose of what you are, in fact, supposed to be doing. Now, if you have placed your faith in Christ, what is your end goal? What is it that you want people to say about you? What is it that you want to be true about your life? Uh, There's a a piece of scripture from the Apostle Paul that I, I want us to leave here with this destination firmly entrenched in our mind. That this is your goal, this is the road that you're on. It comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Now, again, you might not know specifically if you're in the right profession, the right job, the right city, whatever. But here's what I hope that you're determining as you are processing and have processed everything we've talked about in this series. And as you leave here today, that everything you will do will be for God's glory. Now, that's a huge concept, and it's a pretty lofty goal, but nonetheless, it's an important one that we aim for that. Now, when I talk about God's glory, uh, it's a really difficult thing to describe. In a, lot more, in a lot of ways, it's much more like the concept of beauty than it is the concept of a basketball or something tangible. If I wanted to describe a basketball, I can simply say it's round, it's leather or fake leather, it has some writing on it, it's about 10 inches in diameter, people fill it up with air, they bounce it, they pass it, they shoot shots into this metal thing to try to get points at it, and the longer I can describe it, the more you'd be able to piece together what is a basketball. But you can't do that with things like beauty. How do you define beauty? Things like beauty and things like glory are not necessarily true because we can say them, but because we have seen them. Now, if you've ever been fortunate to watch a pretty amazing sunset, uh, a sunset where, you know what I'm saying, the sun hits and maybe you're over some water or, or just the colors, they light up the sky, blues and reds and oranges and all of these beautiful sunsets. Uh, when you see that sunset, nobody has to tell you, hey, this is what beauty is. You just experience it. Now, even though we can't necessarily specifically pin down what God's glory is, it's much more like that concept of beauty. You and I have to experience it together. And then looking back, we can point to that as something that we would want to see later in our lives. Now, fortunately for us, there's a scripture that I want to guide the rest of today's conversation that I think will help us move in the direction of living our lives for God's glory. And it's not something that is an exact formula for, you know, four steps to the God-glorifying life. But I hope that in us experiencing these words on this page, that we would look at it and see it, oh, that is a life that was lived for God's glory. And that the things that we can pull out from that will be things that you apply to your life tomorrow morning when you, put, when you hit your alarm, hop on a subway, and go to whatever you do for your job. Now, there's a scripture in Acts 20, 22 through 24, and we don't do this often, but I would actually love for you to read this uh, alongside me, and the words will be on the screen. You can read it out loud with me. Um, it comes from Acts 20, 22. It's about... Uh, it's, This person speaking in this tense right now is the Apostle Paul, and it says, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, 
except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me, the chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Now, although we have different callings from God, in a room like this size, there are hundreds of callings that God has for you, that God has for different people in this room. Make no mistake about it, even though you might not work for a quote-unquote ministry, if you have placed your faith in God, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you do have a calling on your life. In 1 Peter, the apostle tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a holy people set apart for God's own possession. So to be a follower of Jesus means that God has set you apart distinctly for a purpose, and God wants to use you. Now, in order for God to use you, in order for your life to be lived in a way that glorifies God, uh, there's a couple of things from this scripture that I want to pull out that will hopefully land on your hearts and will be indicators that you and I are living a life that is glorifying to God. And here's a couple of these things that I want us to uh, focus in on today uh, about a life that glorifies God. What have we seen from the scripture about a life that glorifies God? Number one, pursue God's will for your life, not what's safe. Give yourself to something beyond yourself. And number three, make it your purpose to finish the race God has marked out for you and for you alone. First, pursue God's will for your life, not, as what, not what's safe for your work. Now, this passage of Scripture starts with the Apostle Paul saying that he's going to Jerusalem, and he doesn't know what's going to happen to him when he gets there. Uh, Paul, and as many of the early Christians, faced an amazing amount of persecution in the first century church. Uh, many of the people who claimed to follow Jesus at that point were thrown in prison, as Paul was a number of times. They were persecuted and beaten, and many of them were killed. And here Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit of God is compelling me. He's not forcing me. He's compelling me to go to a situation, and I don't know what awaits me. Now, one of the things that's a gift about living uh, in 2018 is that in all of our pockets, we have these beautiful, shiny devices that will allow us to consume media from almost any resource that's available on the planet. And one of the things that brings me a lot of joy and also some fear sometimes is the type of uh, impulses and the things that are feeding us with respect to how we view God. Uh, there's a really, really dangerous thing that anyone in this room needs to be aware of. And it's something called prosperity theology. Prosperity theology is the notion and the belief that what God really wants to do is to elevate you over your haters. And God wants to shine you. Yo, when they see you shining, they're going to be mad. Right? And what God wants for you is to be living your best life. You know what I'm saying? But we see in Scripture all too often is that God compels people to situations that it is not meant to elevate or promote or celebrate them. But actually, they're putting themselves in harm's way. Paul, at the end of this chapter, tells his friends, listen, he gives everybody a hug, a tear-filled goodbye, because he says, hey, I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again. Here's what the Spirit of God is bringing him into, compelling him to do. Listen, go after God's will, not what's safe. In your work, uh, there's a lot of ways that you could be pursuing safety. Uh, one of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is this concept of rest, is that God has specifically designed you for rest. 
God has commanded that you rest and that nothing good physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, nothing good will happen about violating this command of rest. It's very clear. We know exactly what God's will is, but all too problematic for us is not knowing what God's will is. It's actually doing it. This past week in our community group, uh, and even talking through the concept of rest, uh, some people mentioned just, man, the fears that are beneath the surface in processing whether or not I'll actually do what's God's will. One of the women in our CG said, uh, my, a fear is that I would rest or I would take time away from me, and then they would realize that I'm expendable. They would realize that they really didn't need me. So what's motivating people to check emails at 1 a.m. or on vacation or to be that devoted to their work, blowing past, blowing through yellow and red lights of God's warning saying, don't do that, is because they're pursuing safety at work. Safety is not just positionally, sometimes it's also financially. Uh, this is true of us right now in our household. Uh, we're trying to process whether or not my, my wife will take clients. She does marketing and communication consulting. And whether or not she'll take more clients or she'll do more work or she'll just remain at home. And we have a lot going on trying to recover from Hurricane Josiah, that little beautiful dude. Um, uh, and right now the question is, should we lock in with one income at home or should she... Uh, um, take her some more clients and all these different things. And the big decision-making process in our life was not really was what is God calling us to do, but hey, what's the better financially safe option? And we might pursue the better financially safe option and ruin ourselves in the meantime. Here's the thing about life. Every time uh, someone comes in for counseling pastorally, and if you come in and I ask you this question, pretend like you're surprised when you hear it. Um, <laughs> I ask people at the end of the session, do you, do you need prayer for, for, for clarity or do you need it for courage? A lot of times, we know exactly what we should be doing, but we just don't have the courage to do it. Here's the thing about courage. What God calls you to do to pursue what's good and what his will is for your life, not what's safe, it might not feel good. You might never feel assured inside of yourself that this is the right time to do God's will for my life. And listen, courage is making those decisions to follow God even when you're fearful. Courage is, an courage is an action of you taking those steps despite your fear. And if you're going to glorify God with your work, pursue what is God's will for your life, not what's safe. Now, if for no other reason, it's this right here. Safety is an illusion. That job that, think, that you think is bringing you safety is not really safe at all. Just this past week, there were 15,000 people who went to clock in at GM thinking their jobs were safe, promises that the economy was, was all good, and they got handed that day a nice little pink slip, and Ford is next. 2008, there were a whole lot of people in real estate who were just bawling out, thinking everything was all good, and then within about a week, everything came crashing down. Suicide rates spiked because people had nothing to even prepare for this massive downturn that the economy would turn on. Safety is an illusion. We're pursuing something. Uh, we're pursuing a safety that's not really safe at all. Uh, last year, my wife and I went to Mexico City for Baby Moon, and shout out to whoever came up with that idea. Uh, that concept is amazing. Uh, it's even better for husbands because you're not pregnant, right? So you get to enjoy a vacation and not have to deal with the unpleasantries of, of, of pregnancy. I hope my wife's not in here to hear that. But our last night in uh, Mexico City, beautiful city, I hope you go back, we went to this hotel, 
and um, we were sleeping and kind of trying to recharge our batteries. And it was about midnight, and we had been asleep for a couple hours at this point. And all of a sudden, I hear my wife scream, hello, hello? And she's screaming at the door. And I jump up, and I see someone coming in our room. So I said, Jordan, you are a trained orange belt in karate. <laughs> give, them, give them everything you've learned in those two short years. Fortunately for us, it was actually someone who mistakenly got, give, got the wrong uh, room key. They double booked our room. And that hotel didn't have the deadbolt thing in it. We would have put that on. Um, but someone, he was more scared than we were. He was terrified. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we were laying down thinking that we were safe, and we really weren't. We were vulnerable. You might make the mistake of thinking that your job is giving you all the safeties of the world, but you are one millisecond away from realizing how unsafe that is to put your hands to put your safety in the hands of a job or employment because it can never provide that for you. If you're in a boardroom, if you're in a meeting, and someone is saying something that you know violates people, violates women, violates uh, people who are not in positions of power, don't sit back in safety and not say something. Speak up. God has you there for a reason to say something. If you want to glorify God with your work, pursue God's will for your life, not what's safe. Now, one of the best, most helpful exercises that I've, I've done personally to give myself more courage to do what's God's will for my life uh, and not necessarily what feels safe is this very simple exercise of replacing what if this happens with even if this happens. There's a quote by an author named Daniel M. He says, replacing what if with even if is one of the most liberating exchanges we can ever make. We trade our irrational fears of an uncertain future for the loving assurance of an unchanging God. We see that even if the worst happens, God will carry us. He will still be good, and he will never leave us. Uh, in the Bible, there's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and as my dad says, a bad Negro. And uh, <laughs> they come... I've never forgotten that Bible story. <laughs> and they come face to face with this option of safety or uh, God's will. And here's what they say. Our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down to you. Here's what they knew. They knew that God was powerful. They knew that there was something better for them in following whatever God called them to do than it would be for them to bow down and to go with the flow the way everything was going previously. If you're going to glorify God with your work, you need to pursue what God's will is for you, not what's safe. And here's the beautiful thing about what Jesus asked us to do. Uh, the gospel comforts us and assures us and motivates us to be people who are willing to take risks. Why? Because Jesus is our good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. I don't run away and hide and try to preserve myself. I'm the one who lays down my life for the sheep. Now, that's a crazy concept in Middle Eastern days. A shepherd would never die for a sheep, ever. Sheep were plenteous. You would have herds and herds and herds of sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm trading my infinite value for you who may not think that you have that much value. I'm the shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. And if I'm calling you to move in a direction, I am not calling you there to crush you or to harm you, but there's a specific purpose there for you. And we can trust the hands of the good shepherd 
that God will be with us and he will never leave us. And even if the job doesn't pan out in the same way that we wanted it to, even if we don't get the promotion, even if our financial picture doesn't look the way we want it to look like, we can know that God is with us. He has never left us, and nothing that we're going through right now is meaningless. The second thing, amen, give it up for that. Uh, the second thing we see in the scripture about a life that's lived that glorifies God, and uh, man, I hope this is true for you at your work, is that you and I need to give, some, give ourselves to something beyond ourselves. Give yourself to something beyond yourself. What does Paul say in verse 24 here? He says something pretty astonishing. He says, I consider my life of no value to myself. Now, at first glance, this might sound like Paul is a little irrational or even a little flippant with his life or maybe even suicidal, like I don't consider my life of any value to myself. But it's really important that you read that whole phrase together. He's not saying I don't consider my life of no value. He's saying my life has a lot of value. I don't consider it valuable to myself. So therefore, I'm going to give myself to something that's beyond me. So Paul takes this risk, and he goes to Jerusalem not knowing what's waiting for him there uh, because he was in pursuit of his his calling, prepared for the worst that could happen, and dedicated to the service of Christ. Now, it's interesting. uh, Paul, in a lot of his letters, calls himself Paul a doulos of Christ. If you read some of the Paulinian letters, some of the letters that were written by the Apostle Paul, he starts off with the same phrase, Paul, a servant of Christ, or Paul, a slave of Christ. And when he uses that word, a lot of us cringe at the concept of slavery because we think of 14, 15, 16, 17, um, all the centuries of transatlantic slave trade in America, and how could someone ever embody that? And a good thing to know is that has absolutely nothing to do with the way Paul was describing it. Slavery at that time, or servantry in that time, was when uh, someone would voluntarily, voluntarily give themselves up in exchange for someone paying their way. So if you wanted to come to Rome, for example, uh, someone would sponsor your trip into Rome, and in exchange, you would give them seven years of service. At a certain point, you would be let go. It was never compulsory. You were never forced to do it. There was was never a class system based on it. Here's what Paul is saying. My life, I was wanting to come to the kingdom of heaven. I was wanting to be in right relationship with God. I could not pay that price on my own. Jesus Christ paid for that for me on my behalf through his, death, resurrection, uh, through his death and resurrection. As a result of Jesus giving me, giving me this, in exchange, I'm going to give myself voluntarily to Christ to be his servant. Now, therefore, my life is not my own. I give it to Jesus. To follow Jesus, to be a recipient of God's grace, means that you can no longer live solely for yourself. And, and that includes your work. There's too many ways that you and I could buy into the American uh, idols of self-preservation, self-advancement, and self-interest. But if you're going to glorify God with your work, you need to give yourself to something that is beyond yourself. Uh, one of my friends in law school was, uh, was an atheist. He had kind of grown up Muslim, but really wasn't uh, too involved in, a, in Islam either. And he had a pretty negative view of Christians in general because of some stuff that he had seen growing up. But he said to me one day, and I'll never forget this, he says, you know what, Jordan? Man, I've never, even though I've never had a a great deal of respect for the church or for Christians, you know, this dude Jesus is amazing, though. Uh, The story that he couldn't shake was a time that before Jesus was to be crucified, he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he called the disciples one by one and he washed their feet. 
Surely a man that lives so, with so much power inside of himself, if he were to bend down and wash someone else's feet, there's something divine about that. I think if we were to be honest about all of the people that truly inspire you, there are people that don't live for themselves. They live for others. They live for a cause that is bigger than themselves. If you want to glorify God in your work, you and I need to work for something that's bigger than just you. Uh, there's a quote by a pastor um, who says, uh, those who devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. That's a lot of themselves. <laughs> uh, a lot of times, you know what you need to ask yourself the question, hey, am I wanting this? Am I wanting this raise? Am I wanting this position? Am I wanting this status? Because there's some self-deficiency inside of me? Am I actually trying to prove myself to, am I using this job to prove myself to my parents or coworkers or my alumni or whoever, Am I using this job to fulfill my identity uh, and what I really am? And if you are using a job for identity, it's going to be impossible for you to truly give yourself to something that's beyond yourself. Now, let me step off my high horse for a second and just say uh, this one is the one that is the most difficult for me. I think it's just the human nature of, of sin. I remember once upon a time, um, I didn't know it then, but when I first felt the call to be a pastor, um, I didn't know that what, that's what was happening to me at the time. I had just become a Christian. I went to a Bible study on campus, and I remember sitting in a Bible study and just crying and after reading Scripture, and it felt like my life just did a complete 180 in a matter of minutes. And I got back to my room that night, and I was praying. I said, Lord, and this is the prayer that I've gone back to 100 times, Lord, I just want people to know you. Since that point of that prayer, I've had about a 1,000 other things get in the way of that cause. I've had my own failures that I've been trying to uh, work away from. I've had success as an idol that I've tried to accomplish, that if I can establish something that is good and is vibrant, then I know I'm not a failure. I know that I matter. I know that I'm not mediocre. And that dream I had of, Lord, I just want people to know you, it's such a challenge on a day-to-day -day basis. But those are not the stories that you're going to one day be happy to li have lived. If your coworkers and your family and your friends say, oh, yes, they've always lived for themselves, when questions about everything came up, they always brought the conversation back to them. That's not how any one of us wants to live. If we're going to live for God's glory, we need to give ourselves to something that is beyond ourselves. Uh, one of the things that I hope you guys even get at this mixer that we're going to have in the cafeteria after is that we can start to have connections um, within your areas of industry that you will be reminded that the work that you are uh, going after, uh, man, that work is bigger than you. And that the goal of your work tomorrow would not be about you. You would be removed from the center of the universe. And you would see the work and the people that are in front of you as a primary cause. Paul says this in Philippians 2 and 3, that do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider other people more important than yourself. And we can't do that. Um, and we definitely will be living a life and working in a way that glorifies God if we miss that component. And a number three thing that I want to extract about a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting work life is number, uh, to make it your purpose to finish the race that God has marked out for you. Make it your purpose to run the race that God has set out for you and you alone. There's a scripture, I'm sorry, there's an author that says the quickest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The absolute quickest way for you to kill what God might be doing that's special in your life is to compare it to something else because you know what it does? It takes your eyes off of what God has for in front of you 
And it starts looking at making them, uh, your, put your direction and your focus and your attention on other people and what they're doing. And before you know it, you're unhappy. You're dissatisfied with what God has put in front of you, not because what's in front of you is bad, but because you just keep looking to the left and to the right. Let me ask you a question. Name one time where comparison has led you anywhere other than pride or discouragement. There's only two exits to that highway, and neither one of them are good. Paul in the scripture says a number, I want you to pay attention to how many times uh, he says, he points back to himself. He says, my purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of grace. Your purpose is to finish your course in the ministry you have received from the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, today, as we finish the series, we thought it would be really fitting to do something that we haven't done too often here at Renaissance, and it's something called uh, sending people out. Every single time we have a Sunday service, we do a benediction, and that's because our Sunday services are meant to bless you and then send you out. There are two aspects to the Christian faith. The first is come and see. Come and see all the wonders about who Jesus is. The second is go and be. Our worship services are intended to allow for both, come and see and to go and be. And I want to commission you guys today to go and be God-glorifying workers tomorrow in your job. So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to call for your, your industry, and uh, we'll put people in kind of big buckets. And as I call for you, please rise, and I'm going to give you a charge. We're going to pray, and then we'll call up the next one. Sounds good? All right, all my educators, please rise. Give it up for educators. Now, this is teachers, uh, administrators, uh, guidance counselors, principals. Um, I am grateful that you are in the schools that you are in to be God's instruments to guide these children. Every morning where a parent prays for their children, they're praying that God would meet their children through you. I pray that you would give yourself to the cause of these kids. I pray that amidst all of the frustration of the red tape, you would see your primary focus and you would lose sight of yourself in pursuit of those children. I pursue that you would pursue what's safe, I mean, what's good and what's glorifying to God, not what's safe. And I pray that you would make it the purpose to finish the race that God has set out for you. I send you out now as instruments to spread his glory throughout your schools this week. Amen and amen. Give him a round of applause. Everyone in business, and this is tech, sales, finance, HR, planning, training, reception, customer service, yes, retail, <laughs> advertising, marketing, and marketing. I'm grateful that you are in your jobs, that you are people who will make sure that the end of the day, you will focus on people and not on product and process, that you will make sure that to the best of your ability, your company under your authority will operate ethically, that with your life, you will pursue God's will, not what's safe, even if that means Resting when your boss probably wouldn't want you to rest. Even if that means speaking up when it would be easier to not say something. 
May you give yourself to something beyond yourself. May you see yourself as someone that God intends to use for the good of all of his creation. And may you make it your purpose to finish the race that God has marked out for you and you alone. Amen and amen. Give it up for them. All of my artists, anyone in arts, media, entertainment, music, acting, directing, TV, broadcasting, dancing, beauty, design, and event, event planning. Yes, give it up for them. I'm grateful that God has mirrored his reality in you and made you a creator. I bless you to create compelling work, compelling things, not for the safety of a paycheck, but for the calling inside of you. May you pursue God's will for your life this week and this month. May you trust God, even if your life is assignment to assignment, check to check. May you give yourself to the work. May you give yourself to inspiring people. May you make it your purpose to finish the race that God has marked out for you and for you alone. Amen and amen. Uh, civil and public service, this is anyone in law, um, not-for-profit, ministry, military, government, security, health care, and also stay-at-home parents. Give it up for them. You are in the business of dealing with people. You no doubt have a thousand temptations to get buried under red tape. You no doubt have a thousand temptations to be distracted and to forget what is most important, the people right in front of you. May you this week see the Imago Day in people. May you recover that every single human soul you speak to this week, every person you decide and are intending to serve, may you see them as God's children, God's beloved. May you not grow frustrated. May you pursue God's will for your life, not what's safe. May you give yourself wholly, completely, something beyond yourself. And may you make it your purpose to finish the race that God has marked out for you and for you alone. Amen and amen. Now, I may not have called out everybody, but if I didn't call you out, this is a, consider this your call out. Um, catch all and anyone in the industrial, technical, manufacturing, hospitality, maintenance, transportation, energy, construction, project management, or if I didn't call you out and you want to get a blessing, now is your time. And I can't see, there we go, we got one person. As you operate systems and deal with people, as you move things forward, as you engage in what might seem to be meaningless tasks, may you see that God does his best work in obscurity. As we will see coming next week with the coming of Jesus, God does his best work in obscurity. May God do his best work through you. May you pursue God's will for your life at your job, not what is safe. May you give yourself to something beyond yourself. May you make it your purpose to finish the race that God has marked out for you 
and for you alone. Amen and amen. Now, this week, uh, the way we wanted to respond to this was actually in something called worship. Now, worship is much more than singing. Worship, in a lot of ways, is adoration. It's what we're looking to. So what we're hoping to do is to rearrange our focus and say, God, you are so much bigger, so much better, so much greater than anything I could ever give up in pursuit of you. So would you please rise? And we're going to have a brief prayer and then join us for a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we can trust you. We can trust our lives in your hands, even if it feels risky. So God, may we lay down all lesser things in our life in pursuit of you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.